are you gonna do today, Napoleon? Whatever I feel like I wanna do. Gosh! Welcome to the inaugural Letter Talk podcast with your host, Joe Steinhardt, aka Desert Slut on both Letterboxd and Instagram. So yeah, this title is a dumb little riff on Letterboxd, the film review website. But yeah, I just try to watch a lot of movies. I'm a writer and director. I don't have any clout. I'm just trying to make my first feature out here. I've lived in LA for six years. I went to AFI for directing, so you could say I'm a master at directing. I have been wanting to start a podcast for years, and I didn't want to do it by myself because it just feels narcissistic, but I actually really like listening to people who are just ranting to themselves or something like comforting and safe about it. I don't know. I'm recording this with my headphone mic, but I have this beautiful Blue Yeti microphone and I'm out in Joshua Tree right now. It's the last day of 2023. I brought the mic along because I'm like, I told myself I would start a podcast in 2023 no matter what. Then I just whipped it out to start recording. And guess what? It's a USB port in my stupid MacBook. You have to have one of those dongles. And I just hate Apple for changing every plug all the freaking time. So I literally can't record with it. So, um, I'm trying it on here. Hope it's okay. In the future, it'll be better. I promise. The plan for this pod is to, every episode, talk about a new thing, an old thing, and a secret third thing. So something that's like neither really new nor old. And also a stupid fourth thing, um, aka something on reality television, because that's probably the thing that I watch the most, which I'm trying to change. I'm really trying to watch a lot more movies, but reality television is my favorite. And I'm not ashamed of it. I'm just a little ashamed at the quantity that I watch, but yeah, I need somewhere to vent about that. Also, I'll just give you a quick like rundown of my letterboxd that my, what my top four films are so that you can see if you hate me. Um, My top four right now are Buffalo 66, American Movie, Funny Games, and The Shining. I really just put Buffalo 66 first because I am a patron of the arts of Letterboxd. And if you, I think it's only like 30 bucks a year. It's really not bad. And if you pay 30 bucks a year, you get to have a a little banner, a photo on your profile and it makes everything just look so much better. And that's the only reason why I pay 30 bucks a year. And it's totally worth it because it looks cool. Even though I have, oh my gosh, I have a hundred followers. Hey, that's cool. I'll just tell you what my top reviews are. These two are tied with a whopping 12 likes. One is for the documentary Thin, and my review is five stars, the only good movie ever made about eating disorders. It's really, really amazing and really haunting. And then the other one tied for 12 likes is a half star for Coda, not the Ryuji Sakamoto documentary. That's a great documentary, but the what I call the Disney Channel original movie that won Best Picture. I'm so grateful for the slap because it overshadowed <laughs> coda so hard and my review is ruby is such a pick me so there you go that's a little rundown of of me for this first pod the new thing we're going to talk about is Saltburn, directed by emerald fennel is it fennel why do i think do people just say fennel because it just looks like fennel to me anyways Saltburn, and because i hadn't seen promising young woman and i just literally just watched it in order to better talk about the director and everyone's like 
comparing it to that because that was like her first feature and it was like a big splash i guess i'm also gonna be talking about talking about promising young woman it doesn't count as the old thing or secret third thing the old thing is going to be lion's love from 1969 directed by queen agnes varda and the secret third thing is skinnamarink directed by some guy it was his first feature kyle edward ball that came out in like december 2022 so it's neither new nor old oh yeah spoiler alert for everything that i am going to talk about i think it's insane have you ever listened to a podcast that talks about tv or movies that's like oh we avoid spoilers why are you even discussing it that makes no sense it's not i don't want to listen to that if i've seen the movie you're avoiding anything interesting about it so not gonna happen here Let's get into it. We're going to start with our new thing, Saltburn, directed by Emerald Fennel. We're all about to lose our minds. That's the uh, logline. Here's a little synopsis on Letterboxd. Struggling to find his place at Oxford University, student Oliver Quick finds himself drawn into the world of the charming and aristocratic Felix Catton, who invites him to Saltburn, his eccentric family's sprawling estate, for a summer never to be. My review is three and a half stars. I started with a quote from Rosamund Pike's character. I was a lesbian for a while, you know, but it was all too wet for me. Men are so lovely and dry. The ending almost ruined the whole thing for me. Like, what is this saw with the flashbacks to explain every single moment? Ugh, it was fun and hot, though, and the Rosamund Pike was the best part. I said the Rosamund Pike was the best part. So here's the number one liked review for Saltburn. This is from Zoe Rose Bryant. This has over 36,000 likes. A movie about how Jacob Elordi is simply so fucking hot that his mere existence is enough to make someone legally insane. And uh, the next most top liked review by Giaba, J-E-A-B-A. Sometimes you just have to bottom your way to the top. I liked that one. The next most liked is from Mistat, M-I-S-T-A-T does for bathtubs what call me by your name did for peaches next top review is from clara who's uh clara j-a-r-l felix showing salt burn around as if he's in 73 questions with vogue this is going to be my moment to rant about 73 questions i've mentioned this before maybe i was just mentioning it to people who like don't do film stuff or whatever not to sound pretentious but i was like it's so weird how scripted those freaking videos are why do i keep saying freaking am i trying to censor myself sorry um like they're clearly not even the person isn't even saying that like the man asking the questions is not in the room he's it's a weird adr voice and it's so scripted you can tell that they're not spontaneously asking everything it's so choreographed which is like fine but people seem to think that they're thinking these things up on the spot it's very bizarre to me. I like can't watch them. I've watched a few of them just because like I want to see Taylor Swift's whatever, but they're really so like uncomfortable and stiff to me. I am confused if I'm just like weirdly sensitive to that and like people don't care. They're just so like dazzled by the celebrity and like can they not tell that it's so extremely scripted or are the people I ran to this about ranted to this about just like really stupid and not perceptive? I don't know. Um, I'm just going to talk about some reviews of Saltburn that I liked. So this is from Max. His letterbox is BB Poltergeist. Um, Poltergeist has two T's at the end. 
and we just follow each other. I'm just a fan of him. His bio says that he's 19 and he says, I hate movies and I can't have fun while watching them. (laughs) So here's his review. It's a half star. Fuck this stupid fucking movie. This is just a product of the cultural context it's embedded in with a lazy and sloppy attempt at making things, quote, smart. Herder, class relationships, wealthy people are crazy. The desire for wealth is never ending. Real original. It's a really horrendous attempt at trying to make something socially relevant and aware of how society really is when it's really just a disgustingly grandiose excuse of the director basically masturbating all over the fucking screen. And yeah, the director is a real artist because of the European art house inspired, in quotes, cinematography and the 1.33 to 1 aspect ratio. Oh, the movie is so smart because it's like about their tumultuous relationship and it has extensive symbolism. Parentheses, the symbolism in question being an angel and a devil. Whoa, so intelligent, pointed. Fuck you. <laughs> Leans into these worthless, quote, aesthetic trends that have been circulating around the internet ever since like 2021. These sim. Oh, man, this 19-year-old knows more words than I do. These simulacra. Okay, let's just do a quick dictionary on that. Simulacra. An image or representation of someone or something. Example, a small-scale simulacrum of a skyscraper or an unsatisfactory imitation. So he says, the simulacra of a, quote, dark academia and, quote, old money aesthetic and, quote, gay people that are really attractive and dress in a particular way is just so ridiculous and TikTok brain rotten, not only outrageously dumb and embarrassing, but also really perverse and troubling. Lazy, self-indulgent, but not even intelligent, and very clearly directed by a horny British woman fetishizing that certain archetype of rich, educated gay man who dresses well in tweed suits. And whatever. This is just very clearly just porn for indie girls who only watched it and give it five stars on LB with a hilarious one-liner quote review because it was directed by some random woman and cast some heartthrobs in a sexy gay relationship. Oh, I like it ironically, lol. This is in quotes. It's just so weird and wacky and crazy and it's so pretty looking. Come on now, get real. It's just insubstantial horseshit, a burning dumpster fire, profoundly stupid stuff, everything wrong with social media, something that propagates horrible stereotypes and stupid bullshit Pinterest and TikTok addicted people are obsessed with. This is really just fucking junk and I hated every single minute of it. Somehow as stupid as Sound of Freedom, except this is just pretentious and self-inflated. It thinks it's awesome and really smart when it's really just a product of vapid and annoying trends. Fuck this stupid fucking movie. With promising young woman in this, Fennel's track record isn't looking so great. Somebody stop her from ever touching a cinema camera ever again. (laughs) End of review. So yeah, I didn't hate this movie as much as Max did, but I really appreciated his visceral takedown of this just like aesthetic, super shallow commentary of the upper class and living, going, seeing this castle. It's very like fun to live in that world and it's really pretty. Totally agree with him on the, you know, it feels like they're trying to be super artistic with just like the aspect ratio and it's very beautiful. Like the stills are going to be all over Tumblr and Pinterest forever. It made me think a lot about like I went to Sarah Lawrence College and Sarah Lawrence has this like partnership with Oxford where people can apply and then they go to Oxford for a year. And there's always these Oxford students who come back, you know, they're Americans. They come back to Sarah Lawrence and they all of them have like a weird little accent and they're all like so pretentious and annoying and I mean I guess like I I did find it cool that the main character like he's not from a bad situation he's not poor 
he grew up in this like very upper middle class neighborhood with like these lovely parents and there's something so boring about that just being from a very stable home like they're not struggling but they're not they don't have a fuck you amount of money they don't have a castle and it's not luxurious and wild and so he knew that his best bet was not to be part of the the boring stable class that these rich people can't like you know look down on and feel bad for and and want to show them this life of luxury he knew that his best bet was to like make up these crazy stories so i thought that was an interesting little commentary i guess i'm gonna read another review by sam rosenberg sam j rose he gave it two stars and he said the talented mr ripoff was tepidly on board in the first half it's entertaining on a surface level with handsomely crafted visuals a good if anachronistic soundtrack and solid acting from elordi and keoghan and grant but it slowly reveals its shallownessness shallowness aimlessness and incoherent class politics as it unravels in the last act neither as provocative nor as tantalizing as it makes itself out to be seems to be outrageous and quote perverse for people whose heads would explode if they watched a john waters movie infinitely more tolerable than promising young woman but suffers from having a similarly miscalculated approach toward its subject matter and a smug cop-out ending emerald fennel should just direct and not write even with the this shot should be taught in film school bluntness of some of her images her compositions and staging are far more engaging and deftly executed than the characters she creates and the themes she explores linus sandgren is now three out of three in photographing movies i don't love but are great to look at i actually this this brought up a something i really wanted to talk about is the soundtrack when he gets to oxford it says class of 2006 and i think that in the uk university is only three years so it's probably 2003 right i really enjoyed the the music you know you could hear arcade fire playing in the pub but like am i the only one who was just dying to hear like this movie is vampire weekend vibes i was waiting for that vampire weekend needle drop the whole time non-diegetic or diegetic and then i thought oh that was probably released after you know 2003 it was probably not around at the time so i looked at the official saltburn soundtrack playlist on apple music and i realized arcade fire that album neon bible that came out in 2007 what else some other stuff oh the cold war kids song also came out in 2007 i went and looked at vampire weekend's first album that was released in 2007 what is up with them choosing a bunch of 2007 songs aka they're not time appropriate it why did it why was it set so specifically at that time like i think it was just a self-indulgent thing like when she was in college just to be like oh throwback to when we had this specific technology it could have been a few years later and the music would have made sense i find that very annoying so if you were throwing stuff in from 2007 where was the vampire weekend it may seem silly but it just was distracting to me like when time to pretend came in that also came out in 2007 i don't know what is up with them getting all their songs from 2007 but that was like so memorable for me when that came out I mean that was a huge hit like I feel like that's not a niche song like you don't think that that was out in 2003 but it was a fun moment when they're you know naked out in the fields although that was also annoying like ooh, they're naked like how crazy are these rich people another thing about um nakedness when he hooks up with you know what's her face manic pixie dream girl sister drinks her menstrual blood this is what women want that's all i'm gonna say this is what women want so let's get back to more reviews of saltburn oh i like this one uh woke up still thinking about the tub cum slurp (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, I liked the tub cum slurp, but the fucking the coffin. I mean, it was just a little bit annoying. Um, it just felt like shock value. And I found Promising Young Woman very annoying. It was another thing that, like, I it was an enjoyable watch for the most part. You know, I it just feels so... So girl boss fantasy. I did think that the the twists were like clever. They kept me interested. I'm just going to read a, a few reviews here. The top reviews. The top review is from Brat Pacino. I think she's like a letterboxed star. Her username is Brat. Yeah, she has over 107,000 followers. I don't even know that many, there are that many people on this dang app. They gave it two and a half stars. They said... I am awake in the place where women die, Jenny Holzer. Been thinking about what to write about this one for the past couple of weeks. I can see why some hate it and why some love it. And after hours of reflection, I've come to the earth-shattering conclusion that it is just okay. The title Promising Young Woman itself is a reference to how the media called rapist Brock Turner a, quote, promising young man. Many know Brock Turner, but fewer know Chanel Miller, the woman who spoke out about him and even wrote a memoir aptly titled Know My Name. Similarly, our vengeful protagonist Cassie is determined to let the world remember her best friend Nina's name. The relationship between name and identity is a major theme of Emerald Fennel's debut future, as well as a major issue issue for survivors. Example, the women who spoke out about Harvey Weinstein are now forever linked to his name, which is part of why they were so hesitant to speak out in the first place, according to She Said by Jody Cantor and Megan Tuhi, an eye-opening book by the New York Times journalist who broke the initial Weinstein story about how they did it. All of this real-world information makes up the atmosphere of promising young women, lurking grimly and malevolently above our heroine's head. It also informs Fennel's writing and direction, as scenes involving violence against women are shot with discretion and empathy. Rape-revenge exploitation flicks that are directed by and for men can tend to have the camera linger and luxuriate in the woman's pain. This is a conscious choice. Here, Fennel is careful to either cut away from abuse or to force you to look at it, accept it, understand in the marrow of your bones that this is the evil that men do to women. There are some big, bold choices made here that I may not completely agree with, though can respect. At times, the dialogue can be canned, preachy, reminiscent of a half-baked feminist revenge short I and my gal pals might have made in college. But so what? There are worse crimes, much worse crimes. And though the way Cassie monologues may border on predictable, she's nevertheless speaking necessary truth to power. In fact, the intersection of truth and fantasy is deeply embedded in the film's most controversial scenes, culminating in both catharsis and devastation. I've read great reviews from women that range from critical to positive, and they all reckon with the most effective ways in which to make art from cultural and personal trauma. This is a question with no definitive answer. Until then, we just got to keep pressuring studio to take risks on mid-budget, preferably female-helmed dark comedies that actually have shit to say, instead of playing it safe with algorithmic billion-dollar franchises. It's interesting, um, end of review, Um, it's interesting because... When she says playing it safe with algorithmic billion dollar franchises, it feels like this movie feels safe to me. But then I think about the major studio system and I realize like, oh, yeah, this is not playing it safe. But it's like I know those are the people making most of the money, but like who cares about those people? I mean, I'm trying to make money, but like they're never going to be doing anything interesting. Like you think Disney ever wants to do anything interesting? No, I'm just going to read to you the next most like review which is very thought-provoking. It is by Hasta Pura, H-A-S-T-A-P-U-R-A. They said, they started with a quote, uh, one star. If anything is as disgusting and incomprehensible as rape, it's prison. 
and that's a quote by, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of her name, just warning you, Virginie Despentes. A sentient reductress headline, a complete con job, a rape revenge movie where two women are dead by the end, but don't worry, the, um, the cops will take care of this, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. This is a perfect thriller for the hashtag MeToo era or whatever indie wire bullshit is out there right now, seeing as MeToo was recuperated into an ineffectual marketing tool by a liberal establishment that will brook no threat to its power, smiley face. I was physically agitated sitting through this, and that was before it takes on like a boondock saint's tone for a complete for a couple scenes at the end. Dot dot dot. I would like to say here and now, any random 70s rape revenge movie is less disgusting, open, frictive misogyny, greater sign, status quo, girl boss scolding. To the whole cops thing, Miss Emerald Fennel see the genre is literally about women who murder rapists because there is no other kind of justice to be found. It's fantasy. The woman whose assault drives the plot isn't even around to avenge herself, which means Carrie Mulligan's motivations are weirdly vicarious. When Kirla Janice said rape revenge protagonists have the most elemental motivation possible to the point where you never need to ask, like, why is she killing this guy? This is the total opposite of that. Grizzly. Also, no guys even die. Fraud. Fraudulent. Adding injury to insult. The titular allusion to Brock Turner is kind of grotesque. And all for a movie that can't even give survivors the catharsis of seeing a rapist die. And for a movie that puts its trust in the U.S. judicial system to handle sexual assault. Haha. <laughs> I know we've all been quarantined a real long time, but don't tell me y'all forgot the smell of bullshit. End of review. Wow. Back in January 1st, 2021, back when we were quarantining. Yeah. I really, I really liked the um, sentient reductress headline. I think that's really well put. I also totally like the, the phrase or like the word that kept popping up in my mind the whole time while I was watching was fantasy. Like this is a fantasy and I'm not totally opposed to fantasies, but it's like a fantasy that I don't really feel like is doing anything. Like it's and a fantasy doesn't always have to do anything. It just be fun. But clearly that's not the point of this movie. The fantasy is trying to make a very real point about society. And I guess that's the, that's the same thing with Saltburn. It's also a fantasy that's trying to make some point about society and flopping. It felt very liberal arts freshman, like, kill your rapist sticker on their laptop. But yeah, if it is a fantasy, why didn't the rapists get killed? That is a really good question. Like, is Emerald Fennell's ultimate version of justice that the rapists go to prison we don't even know that they're going to go to prison like we don't see quote-unquote justice being served it just feels so straight millennial woman like it's just so obvious that's not the worst thing in the world to be but i feel like so many of those women are so not self-aware i like the point that like you know even nice guy like every guy says that they're a nice guy and a lot of them would do fucked up shit with a woman who's very drunk like it's very true and very dark <laughs> it just feels so like canned though like these guys reactions when they realize she's sober like she doesn't seem nervous that like anyone's gonna have like a weapon like it's just it's a total fantasy yet in the end it doesn't feel like a fantasy like it, like she died i have mixed feelings though because it's like these guys being totally disgraced there is something satisfying about that. But part of the fantasy is that the cops will actually do a good job. That this video is enough. I was thinking about Gilmore Girls today and I just had this thought. I'm sure that Amy Sherman Palladino just loved this movie. It's 
some Gilmore Girls core in like the way that people talk just does not feel real and everyone kind of sounds the same and everyone's like quirky and like a deadpan and like you know we're supposed to think like oh she's so jaded and like whatever but when she's working at the coffee shop and she doesn't even like she won't even talk to this customer who looks like a perfectly nice girl she won't even look at her are we supposed to think that that's like oh she's like daria or something no she's just being dumb and i don't like her <laughs> so my final thought on saltburn and promising young woman is that emerald Fennell is going to just have a thriving career and people are going to eat it up and people on Letterboxd are going to be mad about it. Okay, and now we're going to go on to our old thing, which is Lion's Love by Agnes Varda from 1969. Logline is, the creators of Hair and Viva in a film by Agnes Varda. That is such a lame logline. This literally doesn't say anything about the movie. Okay, then it says, three actors in Hollywood live in love together. A director comes from New York to make a movie about actors in Hollywood. Sounds so bland, and it is so not bland. It does, though, acknowledge, like, the meta-ness of Agnes Varda in this movie. I mean, I really love when a director is, like, making a commentary on filmmaking itself, and it doesn't feel stupid and pretentious and annoying. Full disclosure, I saw this film back in August, it's, so it's not super fresh in my mind, but I just, like, want to tell everyone to watch it. I saw it at a screening at the Los Feliz 3, put on by American Cinematheque, hosted by Director Fits, aka the Instagram, where they post fits of directors that I hope to be on someday. I dress like Director Fitz is watching. <laughs> I should probably note like how I watch movies because I'm sure it obviously makes a difference your viewing experience whether you're in a theater or not. Lion's Love is one of those movies that is slow at times so I was like very grateful to watch it in a theater because you just are like forced to sit with it and pay attention. It's super fucking funny honestly. So my review was just a quote. I hate every form of entertainment including living. The most liked review Suspirlium. It's S U S P I R L I A M. Varda's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's kind of lame. I mean, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is like a fun movie. I like Tarantino as much as the next girl. This movie's so much better than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's like, first of all, you get this glimpse into hippie, artsy life actually in the 60s. It's just such a great time capsule. It's this commentary on LA that, I don't know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is like commenting on like the darkness of LA in some ways with all the Manson stuff and everything, but it's also just like revering LA and Lion's Love feels like more of the, you know, average, like I came here to be an actor, but I'm just sort of sitting around and doing drugs sort of thing. So yeah, I don't really agree with that review. Next we have the second most liked review, which is by S. Pap one firstly i'm going to place a few quotes down as this film is so damn quotable i hate every form of entertainment including living which comes first the movie or reality oh katherine hepburn my favorite actress i look just like her don't i even if he is corrupt at least he does it with style all politicians are actors should art imitate exaggerate and or deform reality onto the review what is freedom if you're searching for it in the past the closing of the 1960s saw a grasping to a past that had already been left behind, one whose best aspects had been sucked dry from its tank many years before. 
This left many people just walking along a narrow pavement sidewalk, battling their way through a crowd while desperately avoiding slipping into the road, avoiding their fall into demise. However, this can't last. Soon they all start flooding into that road, falling under the swaths of cars heading into the other direction, soon to be erased from history, erased from the memory of anyone who had ever existed. That makes this film a beautiful meditation on the struggles of attempting to grow and form a personality of your own when placed against the border of two contrasting eras. An obsession with the beauty of old Hollywood keeps them going, despite all of their idols slowly dying around them. But where does this leave the children that those people had raised? They are left behind without hope. Perhaps they can find their own way through the darkness, but the truth is that this may never be possible. The harsh truth will always remain that they may be left behind with their own favorite stars. Of course, however, there is a lacking appreciation of the art of filmmaking that seems to fall behind that of the stars that grace their sets. This is what the era, this era of Hollywood had done. It had placed the star at the center of the film in order to make money, which in the long term greatly devalued film as an art form, perhaps even before it managed to get on its feet. Then there comes the stifling nature of the studio system, where one person, the chances of it being a man are very high, has power over the work of an artist, control over the passionate expression that goes into their work, driving them to a sense of isolationism. It had the power, and still does, under a different system, to destroy the morale of an artist, even in their prime. Varda, wow. This is my third film from this mastermind, and while this wasn't, I'm sure, the best film that she's made, it shows a range in her abilities that I had not known before of her. The affect given throughout is this handheld sort of feeling, despite the camera itself remaining static for most, if not all, of the runtime. It's this idea and reality of the messy lives of the Hollywood youth of the late 60s, lost in the inventories of the past, filed away into the future, that gives this effect. Viva is going to be my new obsession, I can already feel it. There's something so endearing about every aspect of her personality that I can't put my finger on it. I just adore the way that some fan cult associated actors from this era basically just played themselves, but in each film managed to make themselves so alluring in every single way. Everything about this film was so intriguing, and I honestly recommend everyone to give it a go. Something I don't often say, it's just so interesting to watch. I'm going to leave it at that. Just go watch the movie. Secret Third Thing Time, Skinamarink. 2022 directed by kyle edward ball the logline on um letterbox is simply in this house dot 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 and the little synopsis says two children wake up in the middle of the night to find their father is missing and all the windows and doors in their home have vanished um <laughs> where to begin i know it's like pretentious that this is my favorite movie of 2023 i'm going to read my review i gave it five stars so I'm an only child, and my bedroom was downstairs while my parents slept upstairs. We basically lived in the woods, so it was truly pitch black and silent at night. It was also big enough, and my parents were hard of hearing enough, that if I'd screamed, I was acutely aware that my parents would never hear me, any sound muffled by the long, carpeted hallway that led to my room. Nothing actually creepy or even weird happened in that house, but I was, and still am, TBH, freaked out by the dark. I remember opening my eyes in my bed at night, and eventually the black air would turn fuzzy grain. I'd convince myself I was seeing some face-like shapes and patterns, and then I'd hold my breath while they reached for the light and flick it on as fast as possible. So yeah, it's safe to say that this movie stirred up some shit for me. Like a spell was cast on me, and I was transported back to that intense childhood sense of fear and loneliness. I guess I'm biased by how eerily this movie reflects my personal fears and even my house. But wow, holy shit, what a masterpiece. Yeah. It's also a movie that you should definitely see in theaters, because it is very very slow but i watched it at home by myself and 
at the beginning, I was definitely pushing myself to stay with it, just stare at the long shots of the corner of the ceiling or what have you. I really did feel like I got put into a trance. Like it was doing something that is so hard for a movie to do, which like if you allow yourself to just experience it and then reflect on what the actual experience was like later, it's very meditative and I think is intentionally bringing you back to what it felt like as a child to be really bored. Like it, life is boring as a kid a lot of the time. I was really surprised to learn that this wasn't shot on film. It was shot digitally and edited to look like film. I know that cinematographers would shoot me, but like good for him because I'm sure he saved a ton of money and it looked like film or it looked like it was shot on VHS to me. Let's go on to the top reviews. This is by Jams Virtual, J-A-M-S Virtual. They said, you really need to be immersed for this movie to work. Like you got to watch it alone without lights. Not even as like a challenge, but just because the movie is so slow and the shots are so ambiguous, it's very easy to lose your attention. If you watch it with friends, you guys are just going to be talking the whole time like, oh, what's that? Is that a face? Wait, what room is this? Have we seen this corner before? Oh, is that the dad? Did the Legos move? Etc. My immersion wasn't great for this movie because I was eating a really yummy bowl of chili. Honestly, it was really good chili. I really knocked it out of the park. Like it wasn't crazy or complex or anything. It didn't even have meat in it. It was just beans and peppers and fire roasted tomatoes. But I think adding a little bit of dark chocolate gave the flavors more depth. Also, I used really good smoked paprika imported from Spain. And I had a little bit of Greek yogurt on top because I'm not going to buy sour cream for one dish when Greek yogurt is a good substitute. Plus can be used for breakfast. I add it to smoothies. But the extra tanginess of the yogurt complimented the chili wonderfully anyway yeah just eating that bowl of chili broke my immersion kind of Ugh, that was really annoying (laughs) ha ha chili recipe so funny no i'm not gonna watch this movie with my friends and be talking the whole time saying oh what's that i would turn the movie off 100 percent. i am absolutely not gonna let that happen the movie is turning off so no disapprove patrick h willems with over 5,000 likes. Yes, it's true. If you have 10 minutes of silence and then out of nowhere play an extremely loud piercing sound, I will be startled. Amazing discovery there. I'm sorry I'm like reading this with such a <laughs> biased, annoyed voice, but um, okay. Here's the first five-star review. It's the most four, the fourth most liked review with over 4,000 likes. This is from Esther, who I'm a fan of on Letterboxd. Their username is Esther on Film. Seeing this in theaters, on a big screen, with a rapt crowd, was an early highlight of my 2023. On this viewing, the moment-to-moment narrative was a lot clearer to me, and I felt like the size of the screen made it even easier to get lost in all that hypnotic fake grain. I know the use of digital grain has been somewhat contentious, but I think it's used pretty brilliantly here. There's so many moments where the swirling patterns on totally indistinct images makes you think the camera is moving, only for a light to turn on and the shot becomes jarringly bolted in place. Like Derek Jarman's Blue, your eyes start to play tricks on you and convince you there are patterns in the chaos as desperate to make sense of a complete lack of information as the characters are. The film's final masterstroke is when, its haunting final shot, you finally do see something in all that grain and your eyes have to struggle to keep it in focus to not let it slip away into nothingness. The themes of childhood abuse also really came together for me on this viewing. It should have been obvious before how the entity's voice starts out sounding like the dad, very gradually morphing into something demonic and otherworldly. This is very much a movie about how abuse makes children feel trapped in their homes, how familiar spaces become alien, how they end up having to fend for themselves when their caregivers turn into monsters. 
For such an abstracted vision, it's remarkable how sharply observed this stuff is. When the 911 operator asks Kevin why he's whispering, if he's afraid someone is in the, in the room will hear him, I wanted to cry. When the mother tries to tell Kaylee that her father is something, even the subtitle is abruptly cut off, before we hear the entity force her to speak with his voice, well, see above. Some people won't think this is scary, and I understand that, but I think this is so self-evidently impressive and well-realized that it shouldn't matter. That something this confrontationally experimental is playing in fucking AMC theaters with an Ant-Man trailer in front of it is a huge victory for indie horror. I hope everyone runs out and sees this while they can. You may never get the chance to see a film like this in a theater again. End of review, and I hope that last sentence isn't true. Like, I, that is so wild that AMC did play such an experimental movie, and I Gives, it gives me hope. Okay, two more reviews of Skinamarink. This one's by Freyer, F-R-E-Y-R. Reduce me to a child, hand over my mouth, tears in my eyes, a pit in my stomach. Surreal and familiar in the same stroke, liminal horror existing at the crossroads of comfortable, mundane surroundings, and everything we can imagine might be in the darkness on the other side. It leaves you anticipating the revelation, begging to see something that might reduce the horror with its tangibility. But when it finally begins to reveal itself, you can only shrink and cower and plead with it to stop. Okay, next is by David L. Sims. I would personally just turn the lights on and open all the windows and doors. We've reached the final stupid fourth thing, and I'm talking about Survivor. Actually, I won't give any spoilers. I mean, there's so many seasons. There's literally almost 50 seasons of Survivor. I'm not going to spoil any of it. I'm just going to tell you my favorite seasons because I've become completely obsessed with Survivor just in the past couple of months. I have this weird fantasy of being on the show. I know that's like really embarrassing, but it's the only reality show I've wanted to be on. It's truly giving me life. It's great to just like put on in the background if you need motivation for cleaning or living. Um, I don't know. I'd vaguely heard about it and I thought it was just like some competitions show of like outdoorsy people, right? No, it's a social game combined with a survival game. They're all like miserable and having to live together and everything. So there's constant like twists and turns and blindsides and alliances and immunity idols. Um, it's so good. So if you've never watched Survivor, I recommend starting with Pearl Islands season seven and then Gabon season 17. That's my personal favorite. The drama is unmatched. And then watch Kageon season 28 and then move on from there. I just wanted to like explain the title of this podcast because I don't think I did at the beginning. It's a play on Letterboxd, obviously, but also it's just like no one's stopping me from talking. Like I'm not oppressed there's no one is not letting me talk it's kind of a vague reference to this portlandia sketch basically like the the feminist bookstore ladies women and women first they are at a basketball game and they're like watching the cheerleaders what is this why aren't they barely wearing anything this is a private dance this is a dance you do in your backyard under the full moon you know this isn't something you do in the middle of a court no Cover your eyes, everybody. This isn't a show. Does anyone want to see my master's degree or my collection of books? Let them speak. Allow them to talk. So I guess that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Again, I'm Desert Slut on Instagram and Letterboxd. XOXO. XOXO.